Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining me today is Christina Paws, president of Sopris Wealth Advisors. Thanks for joining me, Christina. Thanks for having me. Yes. Congratulations on all your success. And I can't wait for the listeners to hear your journey. Um, I love to start the podcast right there. So let's jump in. And um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into financial services? So I have kind of a few different entry points. Um, I feel like I developed the kind of passion and attitude for the industry at a very early age. Um, Being a woman in this industry, you really have to stand up for yourself and be your own advocate. Um, And my mom always tells me this story of when I was four years old and I went to the park and I went to the top of the ladder of a slide and these boys came up behind me that were probably 10 to 12 years old. And uh, I decided at that point as someone, future risk management (laughs) professional, I was like, I'm not comfortable going down this slide. So I turned around to go down and the boys were kind of pushing me to go forward. And I was like, you know, getting a little upset. And my mom's sitting there and she's about to get up and help me. And all of a sudden she said she heard me scream as loud as I possibly could, get out of my way right now. And she's like, I've never seen anybody go down a ladder so fast. (laughs) They got out of your way and I knew you were going to be fine. Uh, I love that story. Yeah. So I feel like that kind of gave me, you know, the attitude to survive in this industry um, and to kind of clear a path for other women as other women have done before us. Um, but yeah, I kind of started there. I, you know, I was born 40 years old. I wanted to be a stockbroker when I was little. <laughs> My Build-A-Bear was a stockbroker with a calculator and a pin. Where did you hear the word? I just, probably from the movies. I mean, in the 80s, everyone was a stockbroker. So, <laughs> um, you know, as far as watching that kind of thing. Um, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I knew I had to clear my own path. So in college, I was an economics major and I was home for a summer and I'm like, I need some professional experience. And I was in Virginia Beach for the summer and I'm like, there's not a huge you know, financial industry there that's really present. So I went around to every financial services firm I could find and just said, I want to be an intern. Are you hiring? And brought my resume. Um, and I didn't hear back from a lot of them. Um, but one, I just kept calling because I'm like, I feel connected with this advisor in this firm, you know, I'm going to do this. And they were like, yeah, we'll hire you. And then they weren't super responsive. So I had to keep calling and create my own internship. Um, and in that internship, I really learned a lot from the admin. Um, I feel like admins are so underappreciated in our industry and they are the backbone, um, and they keep everything going. So, uh, I learned a lot from her. Um, I saw kind of what the stereotypical side of the industry was from the advisor. When I graduated from college, I interviewed at every firm I possibly could, knowing I wanted to be a financial advisor because, you know, I had this dream of being a stockbroker, but then I realized through my internship, you could help people. Um, And that was kind of the perfect way to marry those two things. So I interviewed everywhere I could, and I was constantly met with the answer, how old are you, sweetie? Uh, which is lovely when you've worked really hard. Um, So I ended up moving to Chicago and 
starting at a big wirehouse as an admin. And I told them in my interview, you know, I'm doing this to learn and learn the industry from the inside out. Um, kind of similar to your story is, <laughs> you know, starting all the way through Cambridge and um, learning how to do every piece of the job from the inside out. Um, so I worked with a really successful firm in Chicago on the North Shore, and we worked with really high net worth clients. Um, and I was able to sit outside of everybody's office and hear how everybody treated their clients and how they explained things to them. And so it kind of gave me a perspective for working with different personalities. Um, so I knew, you know, I could draw from this advisor when I needed to in the future or that advisor, depending on the client I was working with and their learning style. Um, so I learned a ton. Um, I, I'm really grateful for the path that I took. I got my licenses while I was there. Um, I was, I think, the first or second admin in the office to get licensed and then everyone else did after me. Um, so I learned everything I possibly could and it allowed me to be self-sufficient when I did start my own practice. So 13 years ago, we decided to move to Colorado and I was like, this is the time to change. Uh, I need to start my own practice. I am basically running a practice for other people <laughs> um, and it's time to, to do it for myself and to help people. Um, so when I moved out to Colorado, I only interviewed to be a financial advisor. I was like, I am not interviewing for anything else. <laughs> um, and I I was hired uh, with a, an independent firm, but independent within very strict parameters of what you could do. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I learned a lot there. It was very financial planning focused, but um, I feel like I eventually outgrew that firm and they were making some changes that just weren't the best. And I found Cambridge uh, through a recruiter and never been happier. <laughs> like I, I moved my practice over and I was actually, I was surprised because I felt like the other firms I had been at, it was kind of, you know, people just that weren't in touch with what we do every day and that didn't understand the challenges that we faced and the needs of our clients. And I feel like Cambridge does. So oh, thank I you. Like once I joined Cambridge, I was able to just spread my wings and fly. And you have flown. That is for sure. Um, great story. Uh, so much to unpack. Let me ask you a couple follow-up questions. Um, so first of all, um, I like to believe at least that a lot of our listeners, hopefully are people we're inspiring to consider our business. And what I heard from your story in particular is just that persistence, persistence in a lot of ways. But, you know, the fear of rejection is still very real, even in today's world, as much as it was back when you were trying to get an internship and or the next phase when you were looking for an actual job. Talk a little bit about how you got through that, how you pushed through that fear of rejection and, you know, learned to disregard the being turned down and that non-responsive kind of approach from certain employers. Well, I realized nobody was going to do this for me. Nobody's going to create my dream for me. It's, it's all on me to do that. So I knew I had to push forward. It was kind of like that moment on the slide where I was like, this is what I want to do. I'm getting down and nobody's going to stop me. <laughs> um, and I knew what I wanted to create and that I wanted to help people and nothing was going to stop me from that. And even, you know, being a brand new advisor, when I moved to Colorado, I knew the industry from the inside out, but I didn't know the sales side. So I 
you know, going back to my childhood years, went to the library, checked out a stack of books taller than me about sales. Um, I read the sales Bible. I read, um, you know, Never Eat Alone, you know, kind of all these, the little red book of selling. Um, I had heard about go uh, shoot for no or go for no. Um, so just keep asking until you get a yes. Um, and that really carried me through those first years of building my practice because you do get a lot of no. But you also have to have the attitude of you're here to help people and provide a solution for them. And it's something a lot of people need. So as opposed to kind of the sales side of things where it's like, here's my shiny product. It's here's what I know you need because I did your financial plan and I did the background work to figure it out. Um, and I think that when you have an attitude of helping people, the doors open. So your point's really well taken that you get a lot of no's when you're looking for that career opportunity, but once you take the leap to build your own business, you're also going to have to be prepared to get some no's from clients. Not everybody fits with every financial professional and it goes both ways, right? So um, one of the other things I heard in your story was the concept, uh, which I love, of sitting outside their offices and listening to how everybody interacted um, and then taking pieces from each one of them. I imagine you also through that process, while you learned how to do things, how to manage different personalities, you also learned what not to do. And that's almost as important, right? When you're pulling together what you want your own business to look like. Can you talk a little bit about that? I feel like the stereotypical advisor in our industry is kind of, you sit your client down and it's, you know, don't worry about understanding what I'm saying. You know, I'll take care of this for you. Um, kind of like when I tried to join the industry <laughs> at an early age, it was just, don't worry about it, sweetie. This isn't for you. Um, and I feel like having an approach of education is, instead of just telling somebody what they should do and not explaining it makes a huge difference. Um, I feel like education empowers our clients and allows them to understand what they're getting into, what are the pros and cons of what they're doing, um, how to get in and out of something instead of just telling somebody, this is what we're doing. Um, so I feel like I learned to listen to my clients because I saw some advisors don't listen um, and some of them don't educate their clients. So I made it an important part of my practice to always explain something to my clients, sometimes to a fault. <laughs> and I even tell them, like, if this is too much information, let me know. <laughs> I can slow it down a little bit. Um, and I also learned to, I mean, I saw clients come in and they were afraid of finance. So sometimes you have to stay, take a step back and uh, teach people about, you know, having the right mindset. And, you know, a lot of it's just fear of the unknown. And there's nowhere that teaches financial concepts. Um, I mean, I majored in economics and I still had to learn a lot on the job. Um, so I think that when you break down that fear of the unknown with education, it makes a huge difference. And um, I look for a lot of stories to make something more relatable, like, you know, rebalancing your portfolio is just like getting your hair trimmed, like your hair grows at all different lengths um, and you have to get it back into balance. Um, or mutual fund fees are like Whole Foods versus Costco. So <laughs> um, it's just... 
it makes it more memorable when you can make something relatable for a client. Great advice. I love that. Absolutely. So thank you for sharing. Let's shift gears a little bit. Talk about your team. So as you move through your career, you know, first, the big choice of going from a warehouse, well, from an admin or administrative um, perspective to a sales perspective, then warehouse to independent, then alone to a team. What does that look like? Um, so our team is amazing. We are one of the only all-female financial advisor firms in the state of Colorado. I think there's maybe two or three. Um, we always joke that at our conferences, um, that's the only place there's not a line for the women's bathroom. <laughs> so <laughs> we feel like we're kind of reinventing financial planning by learning to listen to our clients first and incorporate their needs and their goals and their dreams into the plan and to make it understandable and accessible. Um, so I work with two other female advisors, Jessica Beck and Ann Everhart, and they are amazing. They both have very different takes on the business. So we all have very complementary skill sets. Um, Jessica is very technology focused, and that really helps with her technology professionals that she works with. And Anne is very <clears throat> mindset focused. So she helps clients kind of get out of a place of scarcity and into abundance and helps them rebuild from different life transitions that they're facing. Um, and she's developing some really cool programs around that. So, um, and then we have our practice director, Kristen Lynn, who's been in the, with Cambridge for quite a while. Um, and she's amazing. She has the best personality for working with clients. Um, and she helps people understand things and feel comfortable and get their needs taken care of. So, um, we actually had our semi-annual business planning meeting yesterday and we worked on our vision and our goals and um, what we're going to be doing for the rest of the year and going into next year. So we're a great um, collaborative team and we work together on cases, you know, whether it's client facing or in the background, but we all have different skill sets and we really help each other. Um, but yeah, going from the wirehouse I was lucky that I was in, in an office with a lot of women and a lot of strong women. So I was able to learn from them. And even though, I mean, the men in our office were amazing too, um, but it was a very large office. And then I came to a smaller office when I moved to Colorado. Um, it was mostly male, uh, but they were, they were a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> and we were able to kind of build our practice with financial planning as a focus. So that really helped. And we had some great managers there. Um, but then going out on my own, it feels like jumping off a cliff. <laughs> but I had a wonderful partner who's still at Cambridge um, when I started and I learned a lot from her and, and we had very different skill sets as well. So we, we taught each other a lot and um, we're still friendly to this day. Um, and then, you know, now we have our, our current team, Soper Swelk and it's great. I think what the listeners maybe should take away from that, amongst other things, is it's important when you're running your own business to work on the business, like your planning and your goal setting and not get wrapped up. I think what happens because a lot of times people end up, you know, you've worked kind of in a team environment a lot, but a lot of advisors come from a solo environment and they get caught up in working in the business and in the tactics and strategy is just really important to building. You got to know where you're going if you're going to build it, right? 
Absolutely. That's great. So your website talks a lot about clients. Let's start with how you decide what type of client you wanted to serve or you want to serve. So when I moved to Colorado, I knew five people, which makes it kind of a challenge to start a a financial planning practice. So my first goal was to get out there and meet as many people as I possibly could. So I did a lot of networking. Um, I did lunch and learns. (laughs) I still have PTSD from the fishbowl lunch days. Uh, (laughs) But even the fishbowl lunches were there to provide education to large groups of people and they get comfortable with speaking. Um, So in those lunches, I was working with um, different groups from the same company. And my favorite lunch that I ever did was our local hospital. So I worked with people from the women and baby unit um, and from the NICU and from labor and delivery, and they actually grew to be my largest group of clients. Um, I realized that nurses are so underserved. I mean, they send somebody from a large financial firm that handles their 401k to the cafeteria to talk about their financial lives in front of everybody. And at the end, they just recommend target date funds. So I didn't feel like these women were having their needs met. Um, So I worked with a lot of nurses from the beginning and I still do, and they've been wonderful referral sources. And that has expanded into public safety officers and people that work at the university down the street. Um, And I do work with some IT people as well because we have um, HP right here in our town. But I've realized what my clients have in common is that they are people who help others. And I felt like they're people that aren't receiving the help financially. So I was able to kind of make financial planning accessible. And it was a contrast to working with only high net worth clients in Chicago. You know, I was able to work with people that really need help and where planning makes a huge difference in their lives. Main Street is lucky to have people like you, that's for sure, Um, especially those that start with the planning process and financial education, um, because that's key to some of the people you're describing, right? So talk. your website also talks about family and that your own family is a driving force behind your passion. You obviously shared that great story about your mother, who um, sounds like she's probably a really strong person in the first place to raise you to be so confident at age four, maybe I would put it. Um, So share with our listeners the other ways, the different ways your family inspires you as a financial advisor and your goal to support others. So my mom has been a huge um, source of inspiration for me. Um, My parents were divorced when I was five and my mom was a hairstylist and went back to school and I'd go to class with her. And she got a degree in electronics and has built an amazing career, um, all while working and taking care of two of us. Um, and she's she's been very inspiring. My dad has always been really supportive, and he's always pushed me to move forward um, and always ask for more and do more with, with my education and with my career. Um, and he's been a great resource to bounce ideas off. Um, And then I've actually spent a lot of time with family recently. Um, I lost my grandmother in June. I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, So I went back a few times and luckily, I mean, this business gives us the flexibility to be there in those important moments. Um, I was able to fly back to Virginia from Colorado at a moment's notice. Um, And I spent some time with her in November 
when she was in rehab and um, I saw how feisty she was and how strong. And I'm like, this is where we get it from. Uh, you know, she had a day that she was, you know, not doing well at all. We didn't know she was going to pull through. And then the next day she's in the gym at rehab out working out all the women that were around her. And <laughs> the other women, one had been in rehab for 20 years and the other had Parkinson's and grandma's like, can I have some more, you know, some heavier weights or some stronger bands? <laughs> Because she was trying to work her way out of there so that she could remain independent. Um, and then when I went back in June, I actually made it there in the morning of her last day. And I sat with her all day long. Um, and she wasn't responsive. And I was trying to think, of what do I need to say to her before she's gone? She's my last grandparent. And so I took her hand and I said, Grandma, because of you, I'm the president of an all-female financial services firm before the age of 40. And she squeezed my hand. Aww. Strength is in the genes. There's no doubt about it. I'm not sure. I I don't know if you can find that scientifically anywhere, but I truly believe it. And I love that story. That's amazing. I have goosebumps. Yeah. (laughs) Did she understand what you did and what you're, do you think, and, and your accomplishments? I think she did. She, I don't work with a lot of family, but she was a client of mine. Um, and we had her 90th birthday on zoom (laughs) and she went around to each grandchild. There were, there's 26 of us. Um, and I have one of those families too, so I can relate. Some people don't understand what that is, but I do. (laughs) Yeah. We have a huge family. So everybody's on zoom for her 90th birthday. It was during the shutdown and (laughs) she gets to me and she's asking everybody a personal question. She gets to me and she goes, Christy, can I go green? And I was like, Grandma. She's like, how are my investments doing? And I'm like, we're on birthday Zoom. I love it. Hey, I think when you're that old, you can say whatever you want. Yeah. It was adorable. She's very That's concerned brilliant. about you delivery. So when they get her to- I love it. I love hearing how important family is to you. And I believe it translates into how you work with your clients based on what I read about you. And I know about you. I read that you enjoy giving your clients the opportunity for more quality time with their loved ones through the financial planning process. Share a little bit about how that works. So having a practice that has a lot of healthcare workers, I mean, they've, they've really struggled through the pandemic. I mean, they've had a lot asked of them. They've had to to deal with some difficult situations more so than in their normal lives. Um, So I've had quite a few retire after the pandemic. Um, And one in particular, I have a client that came to me in her late sixties, never had an advisor before, uh, was very sweet, wonderful to work with. And she's like, I need to retire. And so we did the plan. We figured out how to make it work. We created income for her um, that was stable so she doesn't have to worry about where her paycheck comes from. Um, And she still obviously has balance with liquidity. Um, But my favorite thing that I've seen that she's done is since she retired, she has basically rented a van and traveled all around the country with her grandkids and her nieces and nephews. And she's visited national parks with them. So because of financial planning, she was able to have that time and create those memories. Great story. I love it. And I'm sure you have, you know, another 
50 just like it. Um, that's the beauty of this industry, in particular, the, uh, in the fiercely independent space, to your point of working with. I mean, nothing wrong with high net worth people need love too, but the main street people really do need your help. So that's really awesome. You're also really active in your community. So just mentioning a few, I've, I saw Loveland Habitat for Humanity. You've served as the chair of the Northern Colorado IDFA Divorce Alliance. Talk about what it means to you to give back. The biggest Groups I've worked with are, of course, um, Loveland Habitat for Humanity, Northern Colorado Divorce Alliance, but also University of Colorado Health Foundation. Um, we raised money to build the cancer center. So I lost another grandparent, actually a couple grandparents to cancer. So it was important to me to give back after all they gave me in life and they've given to others. Um, and Loveland Habitat is just such a wonderful program. Um, I met the director of Loveland Habitat at a networking group, and he was amazing. Um, so we've done a build day every year, um, sometimes more than once a year. And we've done everything from siding and painting and um, putting windows in, which is terrifying when you're standing on a ladder. Um, <laughs> but we're able to build these houses. And I love that Loveland Habitat actually has a financial education component to their program. So every participant um, that receives a house and they don't receive the house for free, they receive the house with a 0% mortgage, which is amazing. Um, so they still have skin in the game and they're working hard and they have to volunteer and um, put in a certain number of hours to qualify but they also have to go through a financial education program and classes on how to be a good neighbor. So for me, it's important to give back and help people get affordable housing because housing prices are insane anymore. Um, but it feels really good to get out there and do that every year. And our team joins and uh, we have a lot of fun. I'm sure it does build a lot of, when you take the team out, a lot of um, loyalty and synergies amongst the team that they bring back into the office. I know a lot of our departments here do that too, and it's it's just really fun to watch. So what do you do for fun? Let's wrap this up. I have enjoyed your story tremendously, but I'd like the listeners to also hear a subtle message that while we're all really busy, we have lives too. And uh, what do you do for fun? So I feel like after looking at tiny numbers all day <laughs> um, and absorbing a lot of people's stuff, because um, people, you know, have a lot of emotional um, needs that need to be met with financial planning, um, and I absolutely love it, but I need to do something where I can't think about anything at all. So I rock climb. <laughs> Because the only thing you can think about when you're rock climbing is rock climbing. I imagine so. That's why I would probably be bad at it because I have a hard time focusing my brain on only one thing. I do too. I will work in my brain during a massage, during yoga, during meditation. Um, so rock climbing forces me to just be present and it's all about problem solving and um, it's something where, you know, you actually can see the results of the work that you put in by getting to the top. Um, it's also a great metaphor for financial planning. So I absolutely love that. I love cooking, um, traveling. So yeah. Such an interesting life we lead, right? I love it. Uh, do you rock climb in a building or like have you actually done it outside on a mountain or whatever you would call it? I'm showing my ignorance about this particular event. I have not done it, but. So I used to rock climb five days a week before the pandemic, but I think everyone's schedule changed after. 
Um, so I'd go every morning before work and it was wonderful. Um, now I feel like I have the time and capacity to go once or twice a week. So I go every Wednesday morning. Um, I work, I climb with some great climbing partners that are wonderful to bounce ideas off of. And they're very like spiritually in tune. Um, <laughs> so they're great for stress relief and problem solving. Um, and then we climb outside occasionally, but it's very hard to organize that because um, you have to get outside, go to where you're going, have several hours to do it, set up a rope. Um, the weather has to cooperate. So we do get outside and that's wonderful and I absolutely love it. But I would say inside more than outside. Sounds fascinating. I'll have to look it up sometime. I'd probably be a watcher, observer, not a climber, but because um, I'm, you know, somewhat terrified just visualizing it in my head. So I'm not afraid of heights, but I'm not sure how, I guess you've got a lot of safety equipment on you. So like our business, financial advisors are safety equipment in my mind for clients, right? Yeah. To use your story. <laughs> it's funny. I'm, I'm so like risk averse that like I we have this place that we climb outside where people rappel down and there's a way to just go down the rocks, like scrambling down or walking down. So I always do that instead of rappel. Cause I'm like, I have too many people's financial lives in my hand. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Christina, thank you for joining me today. Your strength is inspiring. Your independence is very evident. Um, and that, in my opinion, has likely been a big part of leading to the great success that you've had. So congratulations on to both you and your team on that great success. And thank you for sharing you with us today. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. We are Cambridge Stronger.